We continue in our series this morning answering the question, what is the church? And I want to talk to you about the fact that the church is to be a committed faith community. I want to talk to you about leadership commitment today and also community commitment and what these things look like from the scriptures. And I want us all to kind of consider where we are today and really take this personally and apply it directly to where, where we are in our journey. If you're here today in our gathering and you are already in leadership, you might be a pastor, you might be an elder, you might be a deacon here at Genesis Bible, you're in spiritual leadership, I want you to really pay attention to the first compartment that we'll unpack today concerning a commitment that leadership needs to make. We're going to talk about a few characteristics and things from a practical perspective that, that leaders really need to embrace and, and really need to model in front of the, the general faith community. Uh, maybe you have aspirations to be a leader. Maybe you feel that God has gifted you and even called you to be in church leadership. You have aspirations to be a deacon. You have a desire. Maybe you have a desire to be an elder. The Bible says that that is a good thing. That that's a good desire. And uh, certainly want you to consider where you are as you seek to develop and cultivate that leadership calling in your life as we talk about a leadership commitment today too. And maybe you're here and you've never even thought about leadership before. And maybe God is going to call you today and impress upon your heart and in your soul that you would think about spiritual leadership in the church and making sure that you're qualified to lead in that way. As a part of our community, God has some things I believe that he wants us to pursue together that will help us exist in the proper kind of unity and also exist in a way that is healthy for us and glorifying for him. And so we're going to list several things today that we need to consider about community commitment. And we're going to take them right out of Ephesians chapter 4. And just, I want you to let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today and just really just resonate with you to allow the words of God to speak clearly so that there are things that we need to change that will take growth steps today. I want us to consider some thoughts about commitment today and as far as it relates to the church. David Platt put it this way when he wrote, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, I encourage you to consider your present commitment to a local church. So consider that with me today. Consider that with me today. Are you committed to a local assembly, a local expression of the greater body of Christ? That's what Genesis Bible Church is. Are you committed? Now, most of us are very good at being attenders, right? We're very good. We're here today, right? We're attending a worship gathering today, and we've gotten very good at that in our journey and that's commendable. The Bible's clear, uh, especially in the book of Hebrews, that we're not supposed to forsake that, but we're supposed to be gathering. It goes on to say, though, in that same text and in many other places, why we're supposed to come together. We're supposed to be encouraging and provoking one another unto love and good works. 
In Matthew 28, we're supposed to be coming together to make disciples of all the ethnicities in the world. Think about all the things involved in that. And I want to submit to you today that none of that can happen. And none of the design for the church that God has will take place in a way that glorifies him without individual people who are the church being committed to being the church. So when I talk to you today, I am not talking to you from a perspective of going to church. I'm talking to you from the perspective of being the church and really fully understanding and realizing the potential that God has given to us to be the church and to literally change our community and to have a changing impact and effect on the world as we're involved in world missions to the extent that God enables us. So I want you to think about your present commitment today. Are you committed? David Jeremiah put it this way. He said, every believer is commanded to be plugged in to a local church. I'm curious this morning, how many of you have read or studied the one another passages in the New Testament? Anybody done that in their journey? Can I see your hands? All right. Not as many as I thought. Maybe that's a new sermon series coming up soon. If you go through, just get yourself a concordance today and uh, go home and, and find those words one another in Scripture and go through the New Testament. And if you're looking for something to do in your devotional life, this would be perfect for that. Go through, I think you're going to find 25 to 30, maybe, maybe even upwards of 30 of these one another phrases and commands throughout the New Testament. Every one of them, as far as I know, is given within the context of a church, right? One another. We're supposed to be doing this to one another, doing this for one another, not doing this to one another. All the way throughout the New Testament, you have what are called the one another commands. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens when the church is together, when we assemble. And all of those things happen best when we're committed to one another, and when we're committed to being the church as God has created us to be. Another author put it this way. He said, the Christian life is not just our own private affair. If we have been born again into God's family, not only has he become our father, but every other Christian believer in the world, whatever his nation or denomination, has become our brother or sister in Christ. But it is no good supposing that membership of the universal church of Christ is enough. We must belong to some local church, local branch of it. Every Christian's place is in the local church, sharing in its worship, in its fellowship, and in its witness. Being committed to the local expression of the body of Christ. You know, when we talk about commitments, it's important that we remember that nothing shapes our life more than the commitments that we choose to make. And I think you can judge whether or not you have your priorities in line if you just study the commitments that you've made in your life. It will tell you what is valuable and important to you. And so I would pose the question as we get started today, judging from your commitments in your life, is the local church important to you? Could you in a defensible way make that point 
And could you convince others? In other words, is there enough evidence to convict you and to convict me of being committed to our local assembly? Someone else put it this way to get us to think. They said, you can be committed to Christ, but not, or you can be committed rather to church, but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not be committed to the church. Paul wrote in Ephesians when he was trying to get them to understand this point. He talked to the men in the marriage relationship and he said, Husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Speaking of the sacrificial death on the cross that Jesus made. And then also his life and ministry laying the foundation for what would become the church that we still have today, that legacy. How did Christ value and treasure the church? He was willing to lay his life down for her. And I think we can draw from this that that too should be a part of our value system that we should treasure and value the local expression of the body of Christ just as Jesus did. Nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And the great thing about it is it's a gift to us. We didn't create the church. We didn't come up with the idea. It's a gift to us from God. And Jesus has given his life for it and has certainly given us the authority that we need to go out and make disciples as the church. And nothing comes close to this. God truly is using his church in this dispensation to carry out his purposes like no other thing or organization. And so I want to talk to you about this today. And the first thing that we want to talk about today is that of leadership. Because as you read through the scriptures, it is clear that a church must have leadership. In fact, we could even go on to say that the leadership must be qualified. There are certain requirements that leaders need to make. And while we are not going to study in great detail the requirements as found in the book of Titus and 1 Timothy, especially chapter 3, we are going to touch on some highlights of things that good leaders need to be committed to so that they can lead in the church well. It is so critical and so important that leaders hold that banner high and that they themselves make a commitment to lead well and to be an example that others could follow. You know, even the Apostle Paul, he understood the importance of that. He told the Christians to whom he wrote on more than one occasion, you follow me as I what? Follow Christ. That should be the desire that should be the aspiration of every leader in every church in any place in the world that is preaching the truth. You follow me as I follow Christ. And we ought to be in that position, and we ought to, we ought to pursue that kind of leadership and that type of qualification. 
Now, we come to Ephesians. I just want to point out a couple of verses here in Ephesians chapter 4 as it relates to leaders. And he personally gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. The word training there in verse 12 could be translated equipping. Training or equipping the saints in or for the work of the ministry. Now we have a a few different offices, if you will, of leadership that are mentioned here in this passage. It's not an all-inclusive list because you don't see the deacons or the servants here in this passage as you would in 1 Timothy 3. But you do see apostles and you do see prophets and you see evangelists and then pastors and teachers. Some make a case uh, technically from the language that that should be pastor-teacher all combined into one. Others say no, it's actually two different things of pastors and teachers. When it comes to eternity, I'm not really sure it's important that we figure this out completely. A pastor certainly should be a teacher for sure, but there may be some who are teachers who aren't pastors. However you want to parse that out is fine. I don't think you're going to come to an erroneous treatment of Scripture. But you do have these leadership people talked about here in verse 11 of our text. Apostles and prophets are most likely referring to foundational aspects of the church where God called and used some in these capacities in a foundational way. Then you have the evangelists and the pastors and teachers who are more functional and practical for today. Now, the term evangelist is an interesting term. It's taken on meanings over the years. And just so we know who we're talking to today, how many of you have been in a church uh, experience or a church in the past where they would have an evangelist come in and he would preach for an entire week? Anybody, anybody been in an evangelistic meeting like that? Okay, several of you understand that. While that might be beneficial and certainly contribute to the health and well-being of a local church, it's probably not what is meant by this term evangelist in in Ephesians chapter 4. It's more of a modern understanding of evangelist. In Ephesians chapter 4, the evangelist, I believe, in studying scripture and just looking at cultural context, was most likely an individual who was given to preaching the gospel telling others the good news of the gospel of Jesus so that they could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and be saved from their sins. If you're looking for a modern-day equivalent, which is not always wise, but if you're looking for a modern-day equivalent to this, it might better connect with those who give their lives in evangelistic work. Some missionaries do this around the world. They, they go into a place. They stay for an extended period of time. They preach the gospel. People come to a saving faith of Jesus. They disciple those people to a certain extent. They train up national leadership in whatever location they're serving, and then they, they leave that legacy of this, this church that's been formed to that uh, national leadership, and then they go on somewhere else and do the exact same thing all over again. That seems to fit the pattern of this passage and also of what was going on in the New Testament. It was a speaking of the good news of the gospel of Jesus so that people would come to a saving knowledge so that churches could be established and carry on that gospel legacy by continuing to make disciples. And then you have pastors, teachers here mentioned as well, and I think it's clear to us what those are. 
You also have deacons mentioned in 1 Timothy and in Titus as another segment of leadership in the assembly. And the requirements for them as well as elders and bishops are given uh, in, in those two passages there in Timothy and Titus. I want to share with you four very important things that I want to challenge all of our leaders with this morning. And anyone who is desiring to be a leader, I want you to be challenged by these things as well. And in that, I challenge myself that we would pursue these things and lead well. If there was ever a time when we needed leaders that had purity, obviously now is the time and all the time, right? Second Peter 3, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, here is a phrase that's found about six, seven times in the New Testament, make every effort. To do what? To be found at peace with him, with God, without spot or blemish. Wow, if the scripture says make every effort to do this, every leader ought to attach to that and ought to make sure it's a part of their lives. We need to be uh, having this purity personally, but we also need it so that we can lead well and we can lead others by example through Godly servant leadership, purity. So whether or not you're considered a leader this morning or whether or not you think that you're a spiritual leader this morning in the formal sense, I want you to consider with me today, have you allowed, have I allowed anything into our heart or into our minds or into our life that would be considered impure? Is there anything there right now? Something you've allowed in. Maybe it was thoughts Maybe it was something that you looked at or watched or, or maybe it was a, a desire or, or maybe something else, maybe actions. And you would say, you know, that is not pure. That is impure. It has no business in my life. Well, the scripture says that the way to be at peace with God is to pursue purity. And we need that peace. Now, we have peace with God through Jesus but we can place ourselves out of fellowship with him by allowing impurity into our lives. And we need leaders who are going to commit to purity. So I want to challenge all of us today about our purity. Are we maintaining it? Have we slipped? Are there sins that we need to confess and make right with God and maybe even others? Do so. You can't lead well if you tolerate impurity. Another aspect that we need as we lead in our examples is we need to be peaceful. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. Make every effort to pursue peace. So I want you to consider today, are you at war with anyone? Are there relationships right now that aren't peaceful that should be? Are there things that you need to resolve, things that need to be reconciled? Maybe because of actions or words that you have spoken or committed, you're not at peace with others. And you may have brought some turmoil into the worship center today because relationships are not going well. Could I encourage you and even challenge you to pursue peace with everyone?
Could I encourage you to embrace a humble mindset and, and to be humble, live out humility, and be willing to admit your wrongs and go to whomever you're not at peace with and pursue peace with them through a holy and humble attitude? Why? Well, this is so critical. Look at verse 15. You have this root of bitterness that is talked about that can spring up if you're not pursuing peace, if you live in turmoil. You can be angry with others, but then you also get to the point where you're bitter against them. And what happens? It causes trouble, and by it defiles many. This is something that if leaders don't have a handle on, they're going to mislead so many people in the faith community. They're also going to be a very bad example We have to guard our hearts. We have to pursue peace and make sure that we're not letting anger lodge in our hearts and spring up in a root of bitterness that causes a lot of trouble in the church and then defiles many. You know, Ephesians in another place also speaks to us clearly. Paul did so well as he was led by the Holy Spirit to give us a lot of things about relationships. And one of the things that he says in that passage there in chapter 4 is let not the sun go down on your wrath, right? And, and give no place to the devil. Don't give a foothold to Satan by being angry. Resolve the issues. Be reconciled. Pursue peace. You know, as a pastor, uh, you get put in a lot of different situations. You're with a lot of different people, and you live through a lot of different things. And one of the saddest things that a pastor will live through and have to see happen in the faith community is when someone refuses to pursue peace. And, and they want to just live in turmoil. They want to live almost being at war with people all the time. And they hold on to it and they take everything personally and they get angry about everything and pretty soon their heart grows bitter. They begin to go around in the congregation because they can't keep it to themselves and they go around in the congregation causing trouble because they're so angry and so bitter. They have to talk about it with others. It's like an infectious disease, you know. It just spreads like wildfire through a faith community. And that's how it defiles many. Don't get caught up in that. Don't sin against God and against your brothers and sisters in this way, especially if you're a leader. Pursue peace. Don't hang on to anger or offenses. And certainly seek reconciliation quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you do, you swing the door wide open for bitterness. The other aspect here for leaders is to be an encourager. People who are following leadership need to be encouraged and and they need to be built up. That's what Romans 14 talks about. So then, we must pursue. We must make every effort to pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Encouragement. I want you to consider with me, especially if you're a leader today or someone who desires to lead, I want you to consider with me the last time that you very intentionally and purposely built someone up in our faith community. Who was it and how did you do it? And if you're struggling to answer those two questions, 
I want you to consider answering those two questions this week. Find someone that you can build up. Find someone that you can encourage. And think about very specifically how you can do it. And don't let the week pass without doing it. Good leaders do this. In fact, they do this multiple times daily and weekly. They give themselves to encouraging others who need to be built up in the Lord and who need to be encouraged. So I want, to, I want you to consider your life together, especially if you're a leader. Are you an encourager? You know, if you want to know what that looks like, study Barnabas in the New Testament. That was kind of his nickname. He was the son of encouragement. He was the person that the apostles looked to as an encourager, and they pointed others to him as an example. Kind of study what he did in his life and emulate those things. The final thing I want to say to leaders today is continue growing. Don't ever get to the point where you're stagnant and complacent with your spiritual growth. No matter how old you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, refuse to stunt your growth and continue to grow no matter how mature you think you are in the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we have this teaching given to all. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you would say today, I want to be useless and unfruitful? Anybody want to say that? Is that what you want your legacy to be? No thinking person here this morning would say that. But yet, if we don't work at spiritual growth, and if we're not intentional about disciplining ourselves spiritually and making sure that we are continuing to grow and not being satisfied with, with where we have been, but continuing to look ahead, continuing to strive, continuing to discipline ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for becoming useless and unfruitful. And while none of us would choose that as our destiny, we are determining that to be our future if we do not remain consistently committed to growing and being disciplined in those spiritual things. So consider that with me. Encourage yourself, uh, motivate yourself through the love of God, and continue to grow. Don't ever be satisfied with where you are spiritually. So here's the leadership commitment, these four things, purity, peace, encouragement, and growth. And if we have leaders who will dedicate themselves to that, you're going to see all these things, I believe, fall in place in what I call community commitment. And I want to finish our time just talking to you about a few things from Ephesians chapter 4 for the greater community. But listen, these things are not going to happen well, and they're certainly not going to happen in the most effective way if we don't have leaders who are committed to purity, peace, encouragement, and growth. It will not happen like it should. Now, let's read these verses in Ephesians 4. I begin in verse 12. For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry or the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son 
growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Community commitment. What are the things that need to be a part of our commitment? Well, it first of all begins with the idea of being converted. You'll notice the passage is addressed to saints. You can't have any of this community commitment without, first of all, being committed to the gospel and believing the gospel. I think we would be alarmed and maybe even a little bit afraid if we knew how many people attended church who had never been converted. So I don't want to take anything for granted today. I don't stand here as your judge. I can't see your heart. I don't know what you've done in your heart and in your mind as it comes to Jesus. But I know this, I don't want to take for granted that everyone who walked in these doors today has truly been converted and truly knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I would not make that blanket statement today. That would be irresponsible. So I want you to consider your relationship with God through Jesus. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in his sacrifice on the cross to forgive you of your sins? Has there been a time in your life where you truly understood and admitted that you were a sinner, like Romans chapter 3 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Has there been a time where you truly accepted and believed in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, as Paul talks about in his writings? And then, was there a time when you truly called out and made your confession that Jesus truly is your Savior and Lord, and you called out on him to save you from your sins, like Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 talk about. We believe with our hearts and we accept with our intellect, but we need to call out and confess him with our mouth. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 explains that for us. So, I want you to think about where you are. Have you believed in Jesus to save you from your sins? Do you know as you sit here today that you truly have forgiveness of your sins and that you're no longer suffering under their penalty because you believed in Jesus' payment on the cross to do that for you? Now, maybe you have questions about this. Maybe you don't understand it. You might not even accept it all today. That's fine. But we want to invite you to a conversation to talk to you about Jesus so that you can know him as Savior and Lord. And we would engage you in that at any time that you are willing. So community commitment has to begin with conversion. These are saints that Paul is talking about. Not only that, these are people who are being equipped. The scriptures talk clearly that these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers have been given for this purpose, to preach the gospel, yes, but then to also make disciples and equip these converted ones to do what? To be active for the work 
or one translation says, in the work of the ministry. So that's why we do all of this. We come together and preach the gospel and we make disciples, we equip people, not just so that we can go to church and attend church services, but so that we can be actively involved in the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry that is consumed with and dominated by making disciples. And so we think about all of this and we see what a particular church is doing and how it's involved and we want to make sure that we are in some way in everything that we do helping to make disciples. Making sure that the opportunities that we present to others to get involved and be active has something to do with the mission of the church. That we're not just doing things to be busy, but that we have a purpose in what we're doing. The work of the ministry. Now, there's a danger in all of this because we can be motivated by the work itself or we can be motivated by other things involved in the work. We can even make activity an idol if we're not careful. And so to that, one writer has put it this way. The local church is espoused to Christ, but there is always the danger of that love growing cold. Like Martha, we can be so busy working for Christ that we have no time to love him. Christ is more concerned about what we do with him than for him. Labor is no substitute for love. To the public, the Ephesian church was successful, but to Christ, it had fallen. Why? Because it left its first love. So as much as I'm talking to you about commitment today and being active and, and taking your gifts and abilities and resources and, and working and laboring for the good of the church family, the community of faith, and for the glory of God, remember this, labor is no substitute for love. Don't leave your first love. Continue to cultivate your love for Jesus and be motivated by his love for you. That's what Paul said in, in Corinthians, didn't he? What did he say there? He said, it is the love of Christ that what? Constrains me or compels me. In that same passage that he talks about believers being ambassadors for Christ and agents of reconciliation, he said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me and compels me. He's not doing it out of obligation. He's not doing it out of duty. He's not doing it out of shame, and he's not doing it out of guilt. He's doing it because he's purely motivated by Jesus' love for him. Now, today we have registration in the foyer for VBS, okay? I'd love for all those slots to be filled. No joke. Would love for it all to happen today. As you leave, everybody go out there and find your place of service and sign up. But you're not going to find us in the hallways and searching you out and trying to shame and guilt you into serving. That's not what we're going to do. Why? Because that provides a wrong motivation. And I think if that's how you get motivated to serve Jesus, you're going to suffer loss of reward because you're not doing it for the right reasons. We want to serve him. We want to serve him well. But we can't substitute our labor for love for him. We need to make sure that we're being motivated by his love. I want you to think about it this way today. Is your commitment and involvement, activity and service, 
does that level of commitment represent well how much you think of Jesus and his love for you? Is it worthy of his love for you? Just think about it with me and let the Spirit of God lead you into the activity and service and work of the ministry that he wants to follow that prompting. Well, as you know, we don't just get busy and be active just for the activity's sake. We have a purpose, don't we? What's the purpose in all of this? Why do we serve? Why do we do vacation Bible school and anything else that we do? Well, it's to build up the body of Christ. It is a true, intricate part of the disciple-making process. When you think about Vacation Bible School, it just happens to be timely and a good example for us. We're going to have children gathering here in the worship center, and they'll break out from here and go to classrooms and activity time and snack time and all of that stuff that happens at VBS. But as they come into this place, what is the driving purpose and motivation for what we're doing? We want them to hear about Jesus. We want them to believe in Jesus. We want them to love Jesus and know Jesus better than when they came in here. And the whole reason that we do this is to talk to these children about Jesus and to take them to the next step in their faith journey so that they can be the disciples that God made them to be. Purpose. When we focus on this, it gives everything the right purpose. And it takes activity and turns it into ministry because it has this strong purpose. So we need to embrace this purpose, and we need to make sure that we're committed to this purpose and that we're not just doing things to do things. We don't just assemble to spend time together. We have to have a purpose, building up the body of Christ. As we do this, what happens? There is a unity that emerges as well. Now, I want you to see that the unity is in the faith. It's not just a unity around anything else that might be a common purpose or a common goal. Why? Because those things tend to change over time. We need something that's settled. We need something that is going to provide unity through all the tests and the challenges, the good times, the bad times, the storms and the calm times. And what is that one thing that will last? What is that one thing that draws us together that will allow us to have unity no matter what changes? The faith because it never changes. It's the faith that's talked about in Jude, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. The essentials of authentic Christianity, that which defines our belief system, the indispensable essential things, unite around those things. That will stand the test of time, and the unity will last. As we do all of this, what happens? Well, there's a maturing process that happens too, right? We're to grow up into maturity, as Ephesians 4 tells us. And we need a commitment to this, to grow up into maturity. We need to make sure that we're continuing to grow. I challenge the leaders with that back in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Add to your faith all of these things. Continue to grow. Continue to be disciplined. If we do that, what comes? Well, there's a stability, no longer tossed by the waves of impure doctrine and deceptive teachings, as Ephesians 4 says, a stability that comes to us. And in all of this, 
We need to make sure that we're honest people who are speaking the truth in love, as this passage also points out. And as we are honest with one another, we are loving one another, we're building ourselves up in this love. Even if we have to correct one another, we do it in love. We're better. God is glorified. And what we have is a community of faith that is a beautiful testimony to a world that is watching. Let me go back to that last quote that I read you before we began our message. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. You know, this kind of church is really the kind of church that God wants. In fact, God wants every church to be the first place that people think to go when they've really made a mess of things, not the last place. He created the church to meet our five deepest needs, a purpose to live for, people to live with, principles to live by, a profession to live out, and power to live on. There's no other place on earth where you can find all five of these benefits in one place. So, a committed faith community. How is our commitment today? Committed to Christ, yes. Committed to one another in a godly way. Committed for our good and for God's glory. And maybe we need to increase our commitment. Maybe we're really good at attending, but we haven't added anything to that. Let me encourage you to find your place of service according to your giftedness to show how much you love Jesus and how much you appreciate his love for you by being committed to our faith community for his glory.